If you guys can join me in Philippians, we're going to continue our series. It's called The Secrets of Joy, but it's verse by verse through the book of Philippians. We are going to be in chapter four, and we're going to go through the first nine verses. As you're turning there, I just kind of want to remind you that this particular book is very personal, but it's also very practical. It's uh, a place where we talk about how the enemies of joy can try to steal our belief in God, our foundation in the Lord, and rob our blessings from the Lord. But Paul is going to say there is a cure for worry and anxiety, and it can all be found in Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians is one of the most intimate books or letters that Paul wrote to any of the churches. He didn't write to chastise them like he did some of the others. I say, hey, this is where you guys need to tighten up. He wrote them to tell them how much he loved them. And inside of Philippians chapter 4 is the most personal, intimate chapter in the book. And so what we're going to see is something that is very important to Paul. If you, like, uh, were, like Paul, you were chained to a Roman guard and you were on your way to a trial with Caesar and you don't know what the outcome would be, what would you say to the people that you loved? What kind of information would you pass along to them if this may be your final letter to them? You know, what's important to you would rise to the surface. What you need your loved ones to know would come out, and that's what we're seeing here. But as we've talked about and we've been moving through the book of Philippians, we've kind of related it to um, kind of like a training manual as well for workers. And this is the part where we get into the on-the-job training. We first designed the family business came from Jesus Christ, right? We're in the family and we're in the family business. Well, as we do that, we're also working in the place of what is the work of the family business? It's the work of love, ministry, and blessing each other. And this is the very foundation of the church. So as we read these verses, I just want to employ you in this particular way. This is not verses just to study and be inspired by. These are verses for the church. This is not evangelistic. This isn't trying to win over new Christians. This is for church people to read and put into practice as people who are working alongside God in the ministry. Do you realize that the ministry doesn't just take place in the pulpit? The ministry takes place in every one of your relationships, and you are at work with the Lord. So when you're going into this, understand that this is very practical, but it's also very personal to all your relationships. And this church isn't Joey's church or Pastor Craig's church. This is your church. This is our church. And this church will only be as strong as our love of the Lord and the love of the Lord that's in us, that's running to everybody else. Now, like all relationships, anyone who's been married more than 30 nanoseconds knows that all relationships are work. All relationships, work relationships, you know, neighbor that parks on your grass all the time, that takes work, you know. All of these kinds of things take, you know, work on your part. No relationship is just easy and complacent. We have to look into it. It kind of reminds me um, of homeowning. Like when we first decided, Jackie and I, to move from Palm Bay down to Sebastian, we got a new build. We got a new home. And the first thing I thought, ignorantly, was great. We got a new build. We'll never have to work on this house for 25, 30, maybe 50 years. We're good. We're still, all our weekends are, are free and open. We have no trips to Home Depot or anything. But I mean, six months in, I'm like, where are these ants coming from? And then with the humidity, where's this crack on the wall? Did you guys do this? Yelling at my kids. And I was like, no, no, no. It's just that a house, the foundation needs constant attention. And the kingdom of God is no different 
but the, the, the cracks and the fractures that happen in the foundations of the kingdom of God are not God's fault. It's what we drag into the situation. And so we have to be vigilant to look into the scripture, to be guided by what God's commanded, to know how we can repair those cracks. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it comes by the peace of the Lord. And you're going to see that that's what takes place in the scripture. So if you can join with me in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I like how some other translations say he says, beloved. I love when people say that, my beloved. But what's incredible is he's actually setting the groundwork for later in the scripture. When he says in here, brothers and sisters and dear friends, it's an incredible thing for a Jewish rabbi to write to Gentile Christians. Now, we know that Paul has been saved by the Lord. He has converted to Christianity. He is a Christ follower. But it's another thing for him to call a Gentile person, dear brother and sister. He's, he, said the, he said, this is the way, way, God is the father of our church and we're all united. It doesn't matter what our skin color is. It doesn't matter what our heritage or our background is. We're all children of the most high. And so what he's saying is we're all family. And I love the next part where he says, you whom I love and I long for. Now, just remember what I said. He was a, uh, a citizen that was chained to a Roman uh, centurion, right? And he's on his way to trial. That is not a comfortable situation to be in. But what he's saying in that particular line is he's saying, when I stop and I remember the ministry that we did together, it's almost like a little mental vacation. I'm no longer chained to this guy. I remember of the work that we did in the family business under God. He's saying, you guys bring me so much joy. I long and I wish for you to flourish under the God of heaven, regardless of my situation. That's how much I love you. I want what's best for you. And look at the next part where he says, my joy and my crown. Wouldn't that be amazing if a pastor said that to you? You're my joy and my crown. If you want to know how you're doing at church, go up to Pastor Craig after the service and go, Pastor Craig, am I your joy and your crown? And look him deep in the eye and see what his reaction is. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Now, this crown isn't a, um, like a conquering king crown, right? This isn't like something that he's using to say the rule over subjects. This crown is closer to what Olympians would wear when they won a race. So the winner of the race didn't get a, a silver or a bronze or gold medal back in these days. They got a wreath. They got a wreath uh, crown that was laid on their head and they would use it as a source of pride and joy and go, look, we've run the race and we've won. What he's basically saying to them is if I ever stand before the Lord and the Lord would ever say, Paul, why should I reward you or award you for anything? He would just say, Church of Philippi. I pray that you and I would stand before the Lord one day, and that would be our heart cry to the Lord. If the Lord were to ever say, Why should I award you? And you could say, Calvary Chapel and Sebastian, did you see the love of the Lord that we shared every day? Did you see the love of the Lord pouring out of this sanctuary and into the community? And we were known not for what we did, but by the love of the Lord that you poured into us faithfully. That's what he's saying. Now, all of that is really warm and lovey-dovey for an opening of that chapter, isn't it? But I want to show you something that's really important. He says these loving words, and then he says these next words. He says, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Now, anytime you ever hear Paul say, stand firm in the Lord, I want you to remember and recall back to Ephesians 
when we were talking about the armor of God and we were talking about our feet being shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know that. One of the pictures that we put up was a Roman sandal that the, the warriors would use, right? But what was underneath it was most important. They had these deep cleats, right? And the reason for those deep cleats is that when the enemy was coming and rushing at them and then they went into their shield wall or their phalanx, right? You know, to protect against the oncoming enemy, those cleats went deep into the ground so that when the enemy slammed against them, no ground was given up. In fact, they would use those cleats to take inch by inch and push the enemy back because their feet were shod in what? The gospel of the peace of God. And so what he's saying is here is, by the way, war is coming. I love you guys and I'm not with you, but understand the enemy wants to come to steal, kill, and destroy. The church is no different. The church is no different. He's saying right there, stand firm first in unity with God and then unity with each other. The grace of the Lord, grace with each other, but in the love of God, take it serious. There's no place for complacency. If you've ever been in a great relationship, you realize you really can't take the other person for granted because that's where the relationship fails. You have to have great attention to detail and remain devoted. What he's saying here is fight for the love of the Lord in each other. Don't let that go away. Here is the challenge for us. How do we do that? How do we inspect inside of us that we are in that way? Are we standing firm in the Lord? Well, he's telling, talking to them about love. He's talking about the love of God. I want you to see the challenge here on the screen. This is how you can assess that situation. Are the things that I love in unity with God? Are the things that I love things that God loves? And are the things that I love things God would award us for? If the answer is yes to any of those, this is how you can move forward with confidence. That I am confident that where I'm walking, God is walking. I'm not deviating from the past because I'm walking where God loves to walk. I'm not worried about what I'm doing because I'm working on what God's working on. So how can I fail? I'm in the very place that he loves. Or how about this? I love what God loves. I love what God loves. I don't have to question or worry. In fact, I walk with great boldness and great confidence and great faith that the Lord and I are in unity together. How many churches have fallen apart because there was a place and a time where someone wasn't in unity with the Lord and then a fracture happened. This church, every church is no different. We have to be vigilant. We can't take a day off. We can't take a break. We have to have great attention to detail to not let the enemy come in here and ruin what the Lord has done. And that's why we have to inspect. Now, it's easy for us to get rid of things that are terrible, right? You know, like I went to the doctor one time and I was, I'm not picking on anybody that's on a keto diet or anything, but I was doing uh, like 100% bacon all the time. Is anybody hearing me that? I was like, this, this is the best diet I've ever heard. Are you kidding me? And the doctor says, it's gonna be the best diet forever because you're gonna see Jesus sooner because your cholesterol's through the roof and your blood pressure's through the roof. He's like, you're not doing it right at all. And I was like, okay, well, I don't like the idea of dying today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the bacon away. That's easy call, right? But what about if you really love something, but it doesn't turn out to be good? It doesn't turn out to be not good to you, but not good to the Lord that you love. The Lord is saying you have to take a great attention to detail because that's where the division comes is where the enemy breaks through. This is the very place that when uh, Cain and Abel were going before the Lord and the Lord was instructing them. These were the two sons of Adam and Eve and they had to offer sacrifices to God, right? And God was telling them what to do. And 
Abel was all about it. Abel was like, yes, Lord, I hear you, and that's what I'm going to do. Cain was like, mm, I want to do it my way. I don't appreciate it. It's not very comfortable for me. And so the Lord came to him before anything went down and said, hey, Cain, do you know that the enemy is crouching at your door, ready to pounce for you to just give it one little crack, and it's going to come right in? Sin wants to just come right in, and I want to let you know how, uh, how severe this was. It went from jealousy because God blessed Abel in his obedience and did not bless Cain in his disobedience, and it rolled all the way down to murder. All it takes is for sin to put a little fracture for the crack to open up wide, right? I don't know if you have ever been in that place where you've gone to your sliding glass window and there was a wild animal looking in. And you're like, I can never open this door again because this guy is taking up residence and he's just waiting for a, a moment to dart in. Um, some of you have played the game. Ever remember the game Red Rover, Red Rover? Yeah. Send Joey right over, Right? But what did you do? You never sent Joey over to where the kids were the strongest on the other side, right? What did you do? You looked across and you see where the hand, the hand holding, you know, with the line of kids on the other side were now holding tight, and you sent it to the weakest spot. You know, the enemy never faces you head on where you're strong. The enemy will never face the church head on where it's strong. Where the enemy likes to come in is where it's weak, where you're weak. And what we have to do is inspect our heart to make a, a realization that you and I are doing the things that make our heart strong. And what makes our heart strong is our hearts were vessels for the Lord. They've always been. We must fill them with the things that God loves. Now, I want you to see how Paul addresses that in this church right now. Look at verse two. He says, I plead with Judea and I plead with Sintich to be the same mind in the Lord. And yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. You know what's incredible about this chapter? This isn't like a letter that Paul wrote and it got to the church secretary and then she read it to the pastor and it was like, oh, that's great. No, they read this in church service. Can you imagine your name being read in a letter, going like this, hey, Joey and Craig, quit fighting. Tighten up. Everybody knows you guys are weirdos. Get fixed. Would you imagine, would you even come back to church after that? Like, oh my gosh, can I show my face again? But I want to let you know how Paul is squashing this disagreement that these two ladies are having. And the reason why these two ladies are having a disagreement, we don't know. But it was enough to cause friction and even possibly cause a fracture in the foundation of the church. And what he's saying right here is, I'm not appealing you out of embarrassment. I don't want you to feel the embarrassment of this battle. What I want you to do is to feel the love and the grace of the whole church to come in and repair the crack that the enemy might use. And so he's calling upon all the church for two different levels. First, for family. Do you realize that we are a church family? Every Sunday is a family reunion. We come here under our God, the Father, as a family, brothers and sisters, and enjoy a great meal prepared by him. And that's what we do here. So we can no more pick our spiritual family than we can pick our blood family, can we, right? Like some of us would like to not pick our blood family, right? Some of us would be like, oh, I don't know how Thanksgiving's going to go. Ten minutes in, politics, food fight, mashed potatoes flying across. But you leave that family, but they don't stop being your family. Same way with a spiritual family. You can't pick the people in this room, but we are here united with something more than blood. We're united by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is why it's so important that we 
pour family into family. I want you to understand it this particular way. Sometimes I am discouraged. I'm being vulnerable in front of you when people church hop because what they're trying to do is escape the situation rather than repair the cracks. And that's why this church, I implore you when you hear the scripture, not from me or from my heart, but from God. God is saying, we are not here just to take or to receive. We are here to give and to minister. And that's what family does. I don't know if you remember, Michael Corleone said this to Alfredo, never go against the family. It's not the same thing, but what the Lord is saying is, I want you to contend for this reason, and I want you to see why he says it's so important to not go against the family. Look how he closes the scripture. They were co-workers. They were for the gospel. So these people were effective in their ministry. But look at the last part, whose names are in the book of life. He says, you think you're going to escape the problems now? Do you realize who God's going to sit you next to in heaven? You could leave the church. You could avoid me in the parking lot. You can give me a cold shoulder in the Bible study. But who is God going to put you right next to to do work in heaven? We're in this for eternity. We're in this forever. So start working for eternity today. These people are your brothers and sisters forever. And the enemy is not going to change that. And so what he's saying right here, right now, is we have to be a people that are headed to heaven together forever. Together. Now I'm going to tell you why this is a huge problem. I want you to think about this inside of the church and outside of the church. If we cannot love each other inside of the church, how can we show love to the world? If we as believers in Christ who share in unity in the Holy Spirit, if we cannot squash our problems through the grace of Jesus Christ, how can we show the grace of Jesus Christ to the world? What face are we showing them? And so Paul is being very important, very severe in saying this, fractures that come into the kingdom of God come when we are not united in Christ. When we're not united in Christ. And so what he's saying, ladies, before anything, before the help, before the family, be united in each other in the same love that Christ showed you on the cross. And then the family, would you rally around them and help them achieve this? Because we're going to achieve it. Now, Paul is going to now move from that problem and move into this is how we repair the cracks daily in the foundation of our house together. I want you to see verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Can I just tell you, I love this verse. I also hate this verse. Can I say that in this church? I love this verse because it reminds me that I have to be singing to the Lord. But I want to tell you, there are times that I'm not ready to rejoice the Lord. Have you ever told Jesus not now? Have you ever heard the song on Z8.3 and it's like, doot, 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 everything's great, Jesus is awesome, and you're like, just slamming, like, right, give me a second, Z88.3. I'm not there yet. I've had those moments, but what the, he's saying here is rejoice in the Lord always. You know, we can always find a reason to rejoice in God no matter what, no matter the season. I just say this to you right now. It is real easy for me to rejoice in the Lord when times are good. Um, I have a song, it's called King Jesus, or Risen, Risen is the name of it. And then the song goes, King Jesus, and it's real celebratory. I don't know if some of you guys have heard it before. King Jesus, he lives forever. I'm like, yeah, that's me when I'm going through the laundry and a $5 bill falls out. I scoop out, $5 I didn't have before, King Jesus. I mean, everything's great. Everything's good, right? We're, I'm worshiping. But what about when times are bad? How about when times are bad? You know, sometimes that's even an easier time for us to worship. I was in the doctor's office, and the doctor is talking to me about things that might or could be. Have you ever been on WebMD in the late night by yourself and go, it was just a hangnail. I didn't know I was going to die. I didn't under, 
I, that's because fear and imagination take over. And what's the first thing you do? I need my Jesus near me. So I'm going to do something in front of you guys. It's kind of embarrassing, but this is real. This is my song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. That's me all day. And so I'm whispering. The doctor's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you ain't, you ain't doing nothing for me. I got to go to Jesus. But how about when you don't like what Jesus is doing? How about when you're not getting the answer that you want? Nothing terrible, bad, but are you ready to rejoice? Sometimes we are not ready to rejoice because we don't expect God to do what God would do in that situation because we don't know God. Sometimes we don't rejoice because we don't expect God because we are not ready for God to not only work on that situation, but for God to work on us. You know, that's why we put up this, this first slide. It says, rejoicing in the Lord always comes when we always expect the Lord. When I'm in counseling, this is a lot of the time that we do the most work in counseling is when somebody whose marriage is falling apart doesn't expect the Lord to be able to save it. But I would just say to them, did Jesus Christ save you from the jaws of hell? And they would say yes. And I'm like, don't you think repairing your relationship with God, removing you from spiritual death, pulling you out of an eternal damnation towards eternal salvation. Don't you think that that's like the heaviest lifting Jesus has ever had to do in your life? And like, yes. Well, don't you expect that this other thing is way less of a job for him and he's up to the task? And they say yes. And I'm like, so why wouldn't you expect God to do great things in your marriage like he did in your heart? This is the place that we can find rejoicement because in our moment in our life, we have to find joy in the Lord for something. I'm going to let you know, I'm not always ready to worship the Lord, but is God worthy? My feelings might not be there, but is God worthy? Let's do a little experiment right now. We're going to open up the floor just for a little bit, not the whole service, but I'm going to ask you this right now. Shout out some reasons why we have to worship the Lord regardless of our situation. Salvation. That's always the first one, right? Salvation. What else? Compassion. compassion. Who would be here in this church without the compassion of the Lord? I wouldn't even be a wretch. I would be something dead and gone or like forgotten, but for the compassion of Jesus Christ. What else? Any other? What's that? He's definitely great. What else? Mercy. Who would be here without God's mercy? Let me just say this. You might not be in the same situation, but where would Daniel be? being lowered in the Daniel, into the lion's den without mercy? Where would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be without God's mercy? Where would you be without God's mercy? Who is rich in God's mercy today? We have something to rejoice in the Lord for. And again, I say rejoice is why Paul says that. You know, I used to go to um, North Carolina all the time uh, with my dad, and, and we would go all to the mountains, and we would stop at these little mountain churches. And I have to share this one story with you because it's the most epic story ever. There's this uh, man that would come to the church service, and he would preach. This preacher at the time was very old, but he said when he was a younger preacher, this guy would come in and he would just shout hallelujah and amen like all throughout the service. And it was really distracting to this pastor when he was younger because he was new and he was trying to learn it. And in his head, he kept saying, hey man, would you just let me run this show? Like I don't need your help. And so he said, you know what? I'm gonna go see him during the week and I'm gonna put a little kibosh on this. I'm gonna see if I can get him to stop doing that. So he went out to see where this guy lived and where he worked on this, on this field where he was doing all these crops. And he got there, and this guy, now this is the age of when tractors are taking over. This guy's 
out there in a dusty field with an ox and some reins and a straw hat and, and overalls. And he was like, oh my gosh, it's even crazier than I thought. So he goes over to the guy and he goes, hey man, would you just tell me why you have to stand up and shout hallelujah and amen before I even get to the end of the sentence? And the guy said, well, you know what, pastor, I sometimes think when you're preaching how when I get to heaven, God's gonna take this straw hat off my head and he's gonna put on a crown. And then I look at this old dusty uh, overalls that I've had for years and years and they're falling apart. And you know what? I think how God's gonna go, take that off, put on my righteous robes and I'm gonna glow in heaven. And then I look at these old boots with some holes in them and he says, you know what? God's gonna put golden shoes on my feet so they can match the golden streets. And you know, so, hold on, pastor, just take the reins. I just wanna shout hallelujah and amen right now. And he started dancing and then the pastor said, I couldn't help myself. I had to throw the reins down and start shouting hallelujah and amen. I have a reason to rejoice. And that is us in this church. We are not living for the situation now. We're living for the situation forever, which is to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's why he makes this awesome transition to this next sentence. I want you to see. He says, not only should you be rejoicing, let your gentleness, verse 5, be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I just want to let you know in advance, this is a unique, a unique verse in the Greek because that word gentleness, you could almost swap out a myriad of words and they would all work. I, I went through uh, Strong's Concordance and I looked, pulled out some other, some of it was mildness, your forbearing, your fairness, your reasonableness, or your moderateness. But there's another word and it said to give. Now, this is not your to give like to bless someone, like someone's hungry and you give them a sandwich. It means to yield space, to give. Like someone's trying to win an argument and they're going and they're going and they're going and you go, you know what, I'm just gonna let you have it because it's not worth it. That unity is more important. The spirit of unity between us is what I wanna do. It's, it's, a, it's a breakout uh, word like this. I would rather be hurt than cause you hurt. I would rather be offended than cause offense because I'm here to honor you and honor the Lord because you know why? The, the, the verse is actually saying this in a closer way. I'll give you a modern translation. Chill out. Why don't you just chill out? You can afford to lose. You know why you can afford to lose? You know why Christians are able to lose? Because Christ has already won. We are not vindicated by winning an argument. We're vindicated by Jesus Christ. We're affirmed by the Holy Spirit in our salvation and resurrection. So Paul is saying this. Let me give you the, the Joey modern translation. Chill out. God is here. By the way, what do you want Jesus to catch you doing when you're in the middle of that situation? If Jesus is truly near, and he's saying it near in two different ways. The first way that he's saying it is that Christ is, is a living, we're a living temple, and Christ is ruling and reigning from that living temple. Right, so you walk into an argument, right? So you go with Jesus Christ. So if Jesus Christ is standing next to you when this weirdo is arguing with you, and you know you're right, you know you're right, and you got them good, right? But they're not budging. Do you just go and then go, listen, you nick em poop. You know, you don't say that. You turn and you go, you look at Jesus and be like, hey, um, I love you, right? Right, Jesus? And um, although you think you're... I extend grace to you. I extend, right? Am I saying the right things? You see how everything changes when you know that Christ is walking into every relationship with you? You're going there as a representative of Christ. I don't care if it's your marriage or this church. You are going there with the idea that Christ is near. The second way he's saying it is that Christ is coming back. You are being prepared for that moment every day. 
Remember we said earlier in Philippians, till the day of completion. What do you want to have God catching you do? Arguing with somebody or blessing them with your gentleness and mildness because you've already won in Christ. And so that's what he's saying. It's okay to yield. It's okay to be okay with letting them win. Look at verse six. Now he's going to give us another cure to, to put into the cracks in the foundation. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, most people love this passage because it is a wonderful, like, chicken soup prayer for the soul, for the Christian soul that's following the Lord, right? Don't be anxious, prayer and petition. But I want to give you the antithesis of this before we dive in so you can kind of understand it. Took me six times to understand this statement. I'm going to read it three times because I think you guys are smarter than me. Listen to this. It says, worry, which is the opposite. So we're talking about that anxiety, right? Worry is the interest we pay on loans of unbelief that we mortgage the future with. I'm going to say it one more time because I know that's got to let that sink in, right? Worry is the interest we pay on loans of unbelief that we mortgage the future with. Now, when I read that statement originally, somebody that loaned me a book, but they had wrote a little comment on the bottom to themselves, you know, the little note that they wrote in the indent on the side. And I found this fascinating. It said, you might be, you know, paying a loan that you didn't even owe. How many times have we stood before the Lord and let our fear and our imagination eclipse what Christ is about to do because of some made-up situation that we came up with our head because we think God's abandoning us? That's what I took out of it. And we have to realize this, that we should not let the enemy or anything rob what God's about to do because who's going to stop God? Who's going to stop the Lord? What situation can you present to God that's going to be bigger than God? Nothing. And so worry can attack the foundation because it attacks your belief in who God is. And God says there's only one cure for the situation. Look at the two ingredients that have to come into the pot. Prayer or supplication, it says petition, and thanksgiving, right? And I want to unpack that word, supplication or petition. That supplication or petition is to be very specific to God. Don't stand before the Lord and go, I'm upset. I'm frustrated. Say, I'm frustrated because I think that you might not go with me into this doctor's office. I'm frustrated because I don't know how to fix my family and they won't listen to me, but I know that you have some kind of plan. But you see how you start to write it all down? But I'm not sure I believe, but help me in my unbelief. What you are doing is you are correctly identifying to yourself as much as you are identifying to God what it is God really needs to do in your life. And most of the time, it's a change in you before it's a change in it. And the Lord is saying this, be specific, write it down with prayer and petition, wear me out. You can't. I want to hear your prayers. Look at the next part, thanksgiving. You know, it's hard for us to expect the Lord to be good in the future if we don't build on the goodness that he's done in the past. That's why we talked about rejoicing. Now he's moving into the prayer part. Um, I heard um, this prayer um, from an old preacher. It was a recording. It was like an ancient recording. It was like eight, late 1800s. And this guy ended his service with this. He says, a prayer without thanksgiving is a prayer without wings. And it will not reach heaven for it's weighed down with your anxiety and your unbelief. Now we know that God hears all of our prayers. But what this gentleman is actually explaining is this, is 
Why would God honor you in your unbelief if you already designated him what he's about to do when he's doing a great work inside of you, not just in you and throw you and around you, but in your heart itself to get you to fully depend on him? But you're so busy working, worshiping at the altar of anxiety and unbelief. How many times have I stayed up late at night going, God, I don't think you're going to get through on this one. I think you've abandoned me. I think you're far away only for him to bless me. But before he blesses me, he blesses my heart. He doesn't bless the situation. And through prayer and supplication, the peace of the Lord changes me and changes me. I had this conversation with somebody in the last service. They had a falling out with their family and I had to share with them. My dad and I had a falling out and was any kind of way that I could repair that situation. It was really, really great fracture between us. But he was at a church in North Carolina and I was down here. And unbeknownst to each other, the Lord was changing us. You know, he had a lot of reasons that he had to come and apologize for. He did a lot of things that ruined our relationship. But you know what the Lord was doing with him at a church in North Carolina? I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm for the unity. I'm for the grace. You need to be the father that leads your son in this way. And I was down here going, Lord, I don't think it'll work, but I trust you. And then the day that we called each other for forgiveness, you've heard my testimony before, we called each other five times at the same time. And I went into that conversation with my Dukes up because we finally called each other on the sixth time and we broke through, right? Busy signal, busy signal, busy signal. And he calls me and he goes, you know, before I s- you say anything, I just want you to know, the Lord has just been on me for the last three months. And I need to ask for your forgiveness. And I went into that conversation with my Dukes up saying, God, I don't think you can do this. I don't think you can do this, but I trust you, God. I don't trust him, but I trust you. But you know what I was really ultimately doing? Sometimes you could look at me and go, you know, Joey has that big dumb face, Lord. And I just, you know, I don't want to forgive him, Lord, but I trust the Jesus inside of him. We as a church need to start trusting the Jesus inside of each other. We might not trust each other. We might be hurt. We might be victims, but we need to start bringing unity to those fractures in the church by saying, it's Jesus Christ that's going to do the work. That person might disappoint me. That person might fail. I might disappoint you. I might fail, but I trust Jesus at the center of this situation. And that's why we have to do this in our expectation for the Lord. Look at this point on the screen. If a prayer to God is the cure for anxiety, then thanksgiving to God is the cure for unbelief then thanksgiving to God is the cure for unbelief. Sometimes it's hard for us to give thanks because, once again, we're not building on the past to look forward to the future. How many good things has God done to you? I challenge you to do this. I do this for all of our prayer cultures. I do this for all of our prayer weeks. I do this for all of our monthly Monday prayers. I have a sheet that I go chronologically backwards, which means starting with today and going back as far as I can go back, uh, of all the good things God has ever done for me. I get, it's, it's huge. It's like in the hundreds by now. I can't get past five before I start worshiping the Lord. No matter what the situation is going on in my life, I can't get past five. Now I'm on, I don't even care about that, Lord. I just want to worship and give thanks to you because you are so great. Why? Because my peace comes from something other than this world. You know, the circumstances that we are getting uh, in our life, they can come and give us happiness, yes? But what happens when the moment they fall apart, happiness is robbed? But when Jesus comes, he is not those shifting quicksand beneath our feet. He is the rock that never moves. And so that my peace comes from something else. It comes from heaven. Therefore, what is the peace of God? 
It's the peace that transcends all understanding. Why? Because it's bigger and higher than all things in this world. I'm not looking at my circumstances and going, oh, I think it's going to be the end. I look at the God of my circumstances and say, how do you define this, Lord? Where does your glory come from this, Lord? How will you write this story, Lord? And so that way I'm never relying on anything than God. And who's in control? God. So that's where my thanksgiving comes from. I love how Jesus describes this, um, how he's going to supply it to us. He says in John chapter 14, verse 27, he's talking about leaving the Holy Spirit to the disciples before he ascends to heaven. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, the peace that we've received is the person of the Holy Spirit, right? And he's saying this, as the God of your circumstances, you need to receive that peace that transcends all understanding so that you can transcend. And the only way that we can do this is by giving to something that's of a higher means, right? This is what we're doing. We're we're saying to God, you are higher than the giants in my life. The, The giants in my life stand in the shadow of you. In fact, that's how we need to start treating situations. We need to go, oh, problem. Guess who showed up? Holy Spirit, stinks for you. That's how we should be praying. Holy Spirit just showed up, problem. Guess what? You have to deal with him, not me. And that's where my faith and my peace comes from. I rest in the fact that, yes, I can fail, but the Holy Spirit will not fail. What is the Holy Spirit's goal? And look what it says in the middle of that verse. I do not give to you as the world gives. How many times has the peace of the Lord changed you to draw you closer to the grace of God rather than just bless you with that response? Because you know what? What if you were just there and you had a bad attitude and you didn't want to give thanks to the Lord and you're like, Lord, you should do this, and he did it. Would your attitude ever change? Would your heart ever change? Would your reliance on him ever change? No, and the Lord wants to build you with an appetite for the things that are eternal. That's why it's conditional on verse six. Look what he says in verse six. That peace is conditional on this. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord. We have to be a people that builds this foundation on this. We are a people that are in constant communication and fellowship with each other as we build the foundation by giving God thanks. You know what's the difference between us and the rest of the world? We have Jesus. And that's it. We are so blessed. We are so rich in the Messiah. Now, I want you to see how he goes from verse, uh, what does he have right here? He has verse 7, where he says he gives you the peace of the Lord, right? I want you to see how he closes the rest of the chapter. Now he's going to protect the people's minds. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Remember I told you seven ended? Now look at verse nine. And the God of peace will be with you. It's funny how it starts, right? You First you get the peace of the God, you get right with the Lord, and you end up with the God of peace. How much better is it to walk into a situation with not just the peace of the Lord, but the Lord holding your hand? 
I'm going to put this in perspective for you. It's so crazy. My, in our house, we have this big living room that's, you know, in the middle, and then the bedrooms are on the one side, and the master bedroom's on the other side. And it never fails at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. Whenever I don't want my kids to get up, they get up, and they walk across the whole house in the darkness, wake me up, say, Daddy, I got to go potty. And I go, okay, that's great. And they go, will you come with me in the bathroom? I'm like, you've been there before. It's all good. Just turn on a light. No, I need you to go with me. I need you to hold my hand. I need you to be there because I'm afraid of the night. So it doesn't really matter what I think is right. It doesn't really matter what I want them to know. It matters the comfort of my presence. How many of us wouldn't just love the peace of the Lord, but have the God of peace go with us? But to do that, we have to be protected in our mind. I I want you to see the inspection of the mind that he puts here. He's saying, look at all these things. All these things have to be right. You have to be accountable to love. You know, when, um, I don't know if I'm the only person who does this. Have you ever watched a TV show by yourself and you're just loving it? You're there with your ice cream and your snacks and you're like, this is a great show. It's got action and comedy and romance. It's got everything. But you're there by yourself and you might be letting something slide. But the moment somebody else comes into the situation, now you're like, well, I don't remember that scene. I don't remember him saying that. Oh, I don't remember those two. Oh, this is crazy. One time I showed my mom the show. I was like, this is the best show ever. It's going to change your life. I remember like 10 minutes into it, like after all these bad curse words and sex scenes and everything, I looked at him. I'm like, I think Jesus and I just want to take this TV and we just want to throw it in the trash. We're like, we're never going to watch TV again because uh, it's not of God. So you understand, right, mom? Just forgive me and we'll just move on. Why? Because I was accountable to the love of a mother and her heart for me. How many times would we not think the things that we would even think if we knew that the Lord was residing right there in our thoughts? Because we're accountable to something higher. We're accountable to something greater. And that's what he's saying here. I remember when we were living in Palm Bay before we moved to Sebastian, there was this great uh, forest that was on the other side of our house and the construction company came in there and you know, cleared the forest. Uh, so they're gonna put in a new complex because you know, everybody's building, right? Uh, but what they didn't tell anybody and what we didn't know is that every living thing in that forest was headed straight for our house. And then one night, Jackie and I are laying in bed, and all of a sudden, it sounds like, like Santa's little workshop up there. There's like construction going on and banging and nailing. Turns out every bat and rat that lived in that forest headed towards our house. And I'll never forget what the, uh, and the pest control guy said. He said, you can't stop the bats from flying over your house. You can't stop the rats from running up your pipes. But what you can do is stop them from getting in. So he went around our house and he put this mesh wire that was like indestructible over every crack and crevice of our house and no animal was able to ever get in. The, the Lord Jesus says this the same way. He says, you can take a house, right? And you can take an evil spirit out of it. But if you just leave it empty, seven more will come in. You can't just push out the bad and corrupt and indecent thoughts. You have to put something good in to replace it. You don't do anything in a vacuum. I want you to see how this peace is, uh, is achieved through our mind. Look at this. Whatever is true. Do you know that Satan doesn't want you to f- focus on the truth? He doesn't want you to meditate on the truth. Because what is the truth true? The truth will set you. Does the enemy want you free? No, but if your mind is full of freedom, you know what it's not full of? Slavery. Slavery to sin. How about noble? Is your, the things that you're thinking of, is it, is it worthy of heaven? If your mind is full of heaven, can it be full of what's full of in hell? No, because it's full. You're already full to the brim. How about right or morally just? Or how about pure? Or if you have pure thoughts, do you have room for un, you know, very contaminated thoughts? No. How about lovely? If you have lovely things in your head, you have no room for anything indecent, admirable. Um, then you have everything that is commendable, Right? Excellent. 
that word is closer to highest in quality. And this last one, praiseworthy. But praiseworthy by who? By God. If God were to look in your brain right now, would he celebrate what he finds? That's a challenge for me. I'm a Miami Dolphin fan, guys. Not every thought that I think on a Sunday afternoon is praiseworthy to be celebrated by the Most High. But that's what the Lord is saying. We are replacing what is weak and corrupt and replacing it with something that is stronger and more holy and worthy of heaven. Think about this. When we get to heaven, what is going to remain? All the things that we did for the kingdom of God and were celebrated by the Lord. Don't we want to get to heaven and hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant? It's not because he forgot. It's because he knows all the good things that you've done for the kingdom and you're about to receive your reward. What we're actually doing, if you look at that list, is taking out the old you and putting in the very thoughts of God. Are you sharing in unity the thoughts of the Most High? And that's why we have to do, do this at the end of it. This is our last and final slide. When you receive the peace of God, the God of peace is with you. The God of peace is with you. How many of us can do life without God? We should fight for not only our love for each other, but for the peace of the Lord by pushing in all of the good things that are godly before the Lord. You know why? Because peace is at is at stake? Is the enemy not always trying to cause division? Is the enemy not always trying to get you to be right? Is the enemy not always trying to get you to be selfish and not God-centered, right? Why? So why? He can drive a wedge between you and the Lord, ultimately between you and your, the people that God's put in your life, your ministry, and you and your church. And that's what he's saying. Remember these thoughts. So I'm just going to go over it for you one more time before we do communion. This is how we repair our life, the church, and our relationships. Stand firm in your love of godly things. Let the things of God make you strong in the Lord. Follow those godly things. Rejoice in the Lord. How much? Amen. Protect the temple with prayer and thanksgiving. Renovate the temple with godly thoughts. And what is the result? Not only do you get the peace of the Lord, but the God of peace goes with you. What will this church be without God at the center? Nothing. Isn't it amazing that the world is falling apart? The world is depressed the world is killing itself. The world is at war. But what are the people of God doing in here today? Preaching and singing and rejoicing in the peace that the Lord has bestowed upon us. We have what the world wants, and that's divine peace from heaven, and we share it daily. Why not share it with each other? So before we pray, just remember this. There is no real, I guess, secret to joy. It's an open secret. Stand firm in God. Stand firm in his love for you. I'm going to challenge you right now. We're going to pray before we take communion. But I want to challenge you in this way. If you need to get right with the Lord and you need to inspect that moment, if you don't have that peace, we're going to pray together. But I'm going to ask that you ask the Lord. Just do it openly. You know that the Lord knows everything about you. That's not the situation. It's about God's faithfulness to us. It's not, it's not our performance. It's his performance on the cross. And he's been faithful all the way from the cross to the tomb to heaven. Is any amen? So let's be peaceful in this way. Let's give everything to God right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And I thank you that you are a good God, that you would pursue us so passionately in our mistakes and our failure and our mess. But out of that mess comes a great message that there is a God of peace who is coming for us to pour his godly thoughts into us, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, his salvation. Every single person here is loved and cherished by God, but we have to receive it.
We can't just talk about it. We can't just show up at church. We have to be a people of God by receiving the God that is written here on the scripture and the God that's in our life. So Lord, I just pray right now that the people of God right now just say, please God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my fear. Forgive me of my doubt. Lord, I open up my mind and my heart to you today and I say, be my savior. Be my salvation. Be my Messiah. And I will follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' holy name, amen.